We're in Romans chapter 8, this magnificent chapter where we could go through just a one sermon per verse, but I won't do that to you. We'll uh, go st- be today in uh, verse 9 of our text, as Paul has been talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our daily walks with Christ. This is what he says, starting in verse 9. You, that is Christians in Rome, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you please be seated? Well, there's been an outbreak, an outbreak of them on television and in the movies in the last five or ten years. Just when you think they're finished, these get up and chase after people in a shambling, decomposing way. They are the hippest man-eaters of American culture these days. They are, of course, zombies. Zombies seem to be everywhere in entertainment these days. Uh, in fact, we've seen recent years, uh, in recent years, movies like Dawn of the Dead or Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and even recently, a blockbuster hit get, bringing in over 500 million, Brad Pitt's World War Z. On TV, zombies are showing up as well in and, and, uh, popular TV series like Grimm or even the most popular of all, the hit series, The Walking Dead. We have to ask, what is it with zombies that they keep showing up on the airwaves and the screen? After all, they're these relentless, destructive, con- consuming all kinds of things In fact, they're really anti-life. Why would we go and watch television and movies that are full of zombies? Well, one cultural commentator named Nicholas Barber suggests that zombies are in vogue when times are bad. Things like banks failing and natural disasters multiplying and terrorist violence stir up within all of us a longing for something in the future to understand where this is all going. And according to Matt Brooks, the writer of World War Z, zombies are hip in uncertain times. People have a lot of anxiety about the future, says Brooks. A lot of people think the system is breaking down. And just like in the 70s when zombies were also popular... People want to work out their worries about the end. Watching zombies apparently gives people the opportunity to to witness the end of the world they've been wondering about and still go to sleep at night. Maybe Barber and Brooks are right, maybe they're not. Don't really know, but one thing is true. Watching zombies makes us realize how much we want to feel alive. How much we want to feel alive. 
We really don't want to be the walking dead. It's like we look at zombies and say, we don't want to be that. Well, guys, Romans 8 is all about that very idea of looking at something you don't want to be, or rather, as Paul redirects us, to look at something we do want to be alive, feeling alive, being alive, and not being the walking dead like zombies. Now, last week, Howard uh, brought us into Romans 8 and talked about how we as Christians are called to live in a spirit-filled life. And, and really to live a very different life than even the religious life. The religious life says, just do, what, uh, do the rules, obey the rules. Never mind whether you're in like a relationship with God or not. Just do this so you can feel better about yourself. Paul said last week in Romans 8, Christ freed us for something far deeper and richer to obey the law, but in a very different way through the power of the Spirit. In other words, we have been freed from trying to walk with God or do life on our own terms in sin. And we've been freed for a life to be lived in the Holy Spirit that's more than we expect. In fact, verse 9 of our text tells us the more that we are to get into as Christians. Starting in verse 9, it says this, Uh, In a contrast uh, to the old way of living under the law without Christ, now he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. When Paul says we are not in the flesh, that means we are not ruled by, led, or directed by our sin impulse. You see, naturally speaking, We all feel like sin is normal. It feels normal to sin. And as a result, Paul is saying, look, if you're in Christ, you're you're no longer bound to inevitably sin. You have a choice. And while sin usually feels normal, now God creates the new normal. The new normal of following Christ and living in the Spirit. He says we are in the Spirit. In other words, we are being led by, directed by, even empowered by the very third person of the Trinity so that we can live a very different life. Here's why this is so important. Because God is present with us and in us. He is leading us with his very presence. If you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation... You not only are in the Spirit, but don't forget what Scripture says, the Spirit is in you as temples of the Spirit yourselves. Three times in our text, the the Scripture says in Romans 8 that the Spirit dwells within us. Three times it says that. And we've seen that word dwell before. It shows up uh, actually in chapter 7 when it says sin is dwelling within. So we've got sin dwelling within us and indwelling sin, the presence of sin. But we've got the presence of God as well within us working on that sin as we'll see later. Spiritually speaking, God's Spirit fills us to enliven us, 
to quicken us. We use that, hear that language even in the Apostles' Creed. That's the old way to say to make alive. To give us spiritual eyes to see. To give us ears to hear. The Holy Spirit is the one who turns our hearts from stone to flesh. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us alive. In other words, resurrects us so we can believe. This is great news. It's great news for us. And here's why. If you feel dead, if you feel dead in the world as a Christian, if you feel worn out, if sin erodes your joy, if, if things are like, this is kind of a ho-hum life right now, God has given you a great promise here that He is in you and you by virtue of being with Christ are in the Spirit. So, if you feel dead, an immediate application of this is simple. If you feel dead because of life is just really hard, your sins are getting in the way, life is really trying circumstantially, don't go to career, don't go to family, don't go to food or drink or entertainment, music. Don't go to mere religious activity. This text is calling us to go to God, the Holy Spirit, to bring your life to Him. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who is hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, bringing order to the chaos. If you want order in your chaos, you go to the Holy Spirit to bring order to your heart and your life. The Holy Spirit's the one who brought life to Adam. And the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes life in us over and over again with fillings as He works by grace. See, as Christians, we are a lot like musical instruments. God makes us to be this instrument that makes a beautiful sound, much like you heard from the instruments today. There's, uh, God makes us, in other words, to make harmony. Christ has to redeem us because what we do is we mess up the instrument in our sin. We take the beautiful instruments you see up here, when we bang on them, we break them with our sin. But Jesus, He redeems us as that instrument. But once we are redeemed as an instrument, the Holy Spirit fills us so that we are fine-tuned to make glorious music for God's glory. And the great struggle with this in us, often as Christians, is that we are busy playing the notes of music when in point of fact, through the power of the Spirit, we're actually made to make music that brings glory to God. In this life, we often think that we have to work real hard to make it work with God. We're used to that rhythm in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is the one who puts the notes together in our work. And our lives have harmony to them in what we say and what we do and why we do it. Paul is calling us, in other words, to this life in the Spirit. But there is something that he says in this text that's a little disturbing. I don't know if you felt this, but he says this really scary word. He, in fact, he brings up three conditions, three ifs in our text that kind of is a little nerve-wracking when you read it. He says, you, however, not in the flesh, in verse 9, but in the Spirit, 
If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's a little surprising. If, why would Paul say this? Well, Paul knew that he was talking to the Roman church. And in the Roman church, there were many uh, really faithful Christians who trusted in Christ and were following Him, struggling with Him, wrestling with following Jesus. But not everyone in the church had the Holy Spirit. They were the ones who, who could talk the talk. But it's a very different group that actually walks the walk. Paul says a radical thing. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then you do not belong to Christ. In other words, you are an authentic Christian. They go together. Belonging to Christ and having the Spirit within go together. And so you got to think, yikes, not having the Spirit, that's a dangerous place to be. So that begs a question for all of us. And that question is, how can we know we are actual Christians who are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us, that we are also in Christ, in other words? Well, first I want you to notice something in this text that's really intriguing. Did you notice that this text is full of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit show up in our text here, in these verses, in verse 9 and verse 10, really all the way through. And, and the Spirit is, is called the Spirit of God. It's called, He is called the Spirit of Christ. And what that is showing is on some level, they all are very God. Even Christ, very God and fully God. The implication of his invoking the Trinity in this text is simple. When you follow God by faith, you have meaningful relationships with God the Father, with God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's because the Father authors our redemption, authors our salvation. The Son accomplishes our salvation and redemption, and the Holy Spirit applies that to our lives and does the changing of us, much as he did changing even creation itself at the beginning. How can we then know we are in the Spirit to clarify further? Well, think of it in a Trinitarian way. If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation and call on him by faith alone and resting in him and putting away the idols that dog us so many times, you can rest assured that you have the Spirit. Christ, you see, comes into our lives. And when we rest on Him by faith, as we learned in other chapters of Romans, there is a coup d'etat, a revolution in our souls that takes place where Jesus topples the idols. He goes after the sinful patterns that are bowing to those idols so He alone will be God and Lord of our lives. Now, if we follow Christ, the Trinitarian uh, model goes even further. If we follow Christ, then there is within us a measure of desire to please the Father. You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit? There is some measure of desire within you to please God and seek His glory as your adoptive Father. And it's not this frightening, Oh God, if I don't do something for you, you're going to zap me. No, it's, Father, I honor you as my God and Father 
You save me. I give you the due respect you are. You are God. I'm not. I live for you because you have loved me in Christ. Just as a child seeks, in other words, to love and please their father and their parents, so we seek to love and and please our Father in heaven. Finally, you can know you are in the Spirit when you evidence the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. When we are in the Spirit, we grow in these fruit. And why is that? Because when the Holy Spirit invades our hearts, He will not be a servant to sin. He will not tolerate sin. He will work in our souls with the Word of God, with the truth of people, and even circumstances to purge and to grow us into Christ-likeness. So that brings kind of our final question in light of this difficult text. What is, the, what is the most visible evidence of God's working in us through the Spirit and in the Spirit? Well, it's two things. It's really simple. Number one, a changed life. A changed life. And number two, the internal struggle with sin that's warfare. Spiritual warfare. When the Holy Spirit is in us, we are changed so that we live very different lives. When was the last time you changed in how you handled people, in how you related to God and saw God? In what way have you changed in the way you use words with people? In what way are you growing because Jesus is tutoring you through the Spirit to pursue the pleasure of God? Let me put it this way. As the Puritans would say, no change, no spirit. If there's no meaningful change in your life over time, you need to ask some serious questions about where you are with the spirit. Second, do you struggle with sin? Inside, that little wrestling that goes on on what I want to do and what, what, I, what I know is the right thing to do in Christ. I would suggest to you and submit to you, as we talked about in Romans 7, that if you are wrestling with sin, some kind of spiritual warfare, celebrate that. Celebrate it because it's glorious stuff. That means you are showing signs of the Holy Spirit living within. No conflict with sin means no Holy Spirit within But a true conflict with sin within is a surefire sign there is a Holy Spirit working within you and you in the Holy Spirit. So that brings us to an important question that goes further into the text. Is the Christian life all change and warfare? Because that sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? Well, the answer is there's way more to it than that. Look at verse 10 of our text. Verse 10 says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 9 says, If you don't have the spirit, but belong to, but you, you don't belong to Christ. But, verse 10 says, If Christ is in you, the spirit of life is in you because of righteousness. 
Here Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit being life in our lives. In other words, uh, the Spirit is leading us to life in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us something exciting when he says the Spirit is life. Christians don't have to live like zombies. When the Christian God shows up, he brings life, excitement, joy. Now let's be clear. Not everything that's exciting is of the Holy Spirit. But if it points from Scripture to Christ and gives Him glory, that is surefire evidence of something that is truly of the Spirit. Another way to think of it this way is the Holy Spirit brings pop to the soul. He brings something to us when we're struggling with life and walking with God. He empowers us. He empowers us to follow Him. Now, what kind of life are we talking about when the Spirit gives life? It's eternal life. Something that lasts. It begins in its work now and is intended to have an eternal purpose so that when we are in heaven with Christ eventually, we're actually living now the way we're intended to live then. Building in those rhythms of life. That's the kind of life we are. Eternal life is a rhythm that ultimately, though, leads us to know Christ. John 17 says this, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you have sent. In fact, how we live in a world full of, uh, while we live in a world full of struggle and doubt, and while death even looms over some of us, the Spirit is in the business of connecting us relationally to God and God to us so we can enjoy God in relationship and in salvation. The Spirit, in other words, makes it possible for us to experience God as we do life with God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of this. You and I might know each other on a certain level, or you might know someone in this congregation even at work, or uh, perhaps at the club, you play on a team together, you're at school together, something like that. And you have just a really rudimentary, rudimentary knowledge of each other. But if you go out and experience and do something with that person like me, with me, with you, you with me, you with somebody else who you barely know, suddenly your knowledge of them becomes more whole, more real, more robust. Same is true in the Holy Spirit. When you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you, you experience God in a very real way. It's not just abstract knowledge that God is holy like we've sung today. It is an experienced, felt truth and reality that you have tasted because you have heard the whispers of God in His glory, yes, even in His holiness. This is the missing link for too many of us in this day and age in our spirituality with Christ. We read our Bibles. We go to church. We even pray with duty. And I want to affirm, those are good activities. But too many times we do it and we feel dead. Our number one issue is really in those things we're seeking not to know God. 
to experience Him. And I'm not talking about in a demanding way, like God give me an experience of you or I'm leaving. But I'm talking about in a way where you're like, I want to know you, God. I want to know you personally and really through the Holy Spirit. Richard Sibbs uh, says this really well. He says, if we, are, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we must allow the Holy Spirit to use the word to think in us, to know God in us, to seek Christ in us, to love another in us. In other words, the first step to really walking with Christ is not to, in prayer, ask for God to protect you. It's not even to ask God to provide for you your daily needs, though those are very real and important prayers and good prayers. It isn't even to pray for a stable job or a lifestyle. Now, our first prayer is always for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you want to walk with Jesus in meaningful ways, in ways that will change your life and be real and connected with God in the daily warp and woof of life, call on the Holy Spirit to fill you. Number one prayer. When you don't feel like praying, say it. Lord, I don't feel like praying right now. I feel dead. Come into my heart, Holy Spirit. And you know when you start praying that? The Spirit will tame you. He'll tame your heart. He will bring your heart into order and lead you to Christ and the Father, which is His job. If you have the Holy Spirit... If this church has the Holy Spirit working within us, we can get to the point where we can live without everything because we're satisfied with the Spirit as our everything. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is to give us a taste of God's glory. He gives us a taste of glory, and as uh, John Ortberg describes in one of his books, the life we've always wanted. It begins with Him. And why does He do that? I mean, what motivates this Holy Spirit and God to do this for us? Well, verse 10 tells us, because of righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. The Spirit gives us life not because of our performance for God. It is not as confused versions of Christianity say... I perform, therefore God blesses me with the Spirit. No, it's asking for the Spirit by grace and God taming our hearts and leading us to new life through the work of Christ applied to us. That Holy Spirit leads us to God here and now in this life. And so let me tell you what that means. When you are afraid, when you are troubled, when you feel intimidated by life, or even when you're happy, you call on the Holy Spirit to tame your heart so you might know God. That's eternal life now. But what about the future? What lays out in the future and the fear that we sometimes live with about what's coming next, the anxiety we feel inside, 
that I honestly struggle with many times. Well, verse 11 tells us some great news. Listen to this. Another condition. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Don't you see? The Holy Spirit not only leads us to eternal life now, but even into eternity, past death. The very Spirit that raised, that God the Father raised Jesus with the dead, uh, from the dead with is the same Spirit that's going to give you and I new bodies one day when Jesus comes back and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 11 tells us an important point for those of us who sometimes feel like we're dead. Are you ready for this? It's the gospel. The gospel that God makes dead things like you and me live. God makes dead things live through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not through our religious effort. It's not even through our own devotion. It is the gift of God in His free grace to enter and invade our world through the power of the Spirit and give us hope and life. Nothing else you try will. Nothing else I try will. We're busy as restless experientialists in this world, wanting the next big thing when Christ is saying, I'm the next big thing. I'm it. I'm the end game. I'm all you need. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to fill you in a way that will help you to believe there is life, not just now, but waiting for eternity with God himself. Life, you see, is meant to be lived as if God is present with us and that we're not alone. That's the beauty of what this text tells us. You don't have to be the walking dead anymore. We are in Christ and the Spirit is in us and we are in the Spirit. Final thoughts. So what? This sounds really cool, even inspiring at point. So what does that have to do with when I walk out of this place and live? I've got three simple applications for you. And the first is this. For those who aren't sure where they are with Jesus Christ, if you're really exploring the Christian life, let me encourage you, do what Richard Sibbs says, entertain the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about putting on a show. Entertain in the old sense was welcome him in. Let him walk around your heart. Let him kind of show you things about yourself, like, yeah, some of the dark stuff. But you've got to understand, in Christianity, when God shows a light on the dark stuff, he also shows a light on Christ and what he has to do with that and how he's died once and for all for you. Entertain him in your heart. For those who are here today who are weak Christians, struggling with sin and even a sense of bondage on something, like you just can't overcome something in your life. Remember, you are called to live like a third-day Christian. A third-day Christian lives like Christ not only died for you, but he was also resurrected for you. He is a living Lord who sends the Holy Spirit from heaven to fill us and transform us. The Holy Spirit is the one 
who will tame your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who wants to actually comfort you, not beat you up. He's the one who wants to lead you with a gentle touch to see the Father and the glory of the Son. When you seek Christ, when you seek the Spirit, weep Christian, you will actually taste life. Third, for Christians who've walked with Jesus for a long time, i got to ask you something. And this is something I've really been wrestling with myself this week and have been wrestling with other people. What do you do with disappointment? When life more and more doesn't give you what you want or what you think it should be, where do you go with that disappointment? You see, when we don't get something in life that we want, that reveals us. It reveals what we really value in life. It reveals our true desires. Do you know what disappointment's intended to do for you and for me? It's meant to show us you're not going to get life in this world. Go to Christ for the life you want. Go to Christ. Grow more and more in your desire for Christ and what the Holy Spirit can give you within. The Holy Spirit turns our hearts and our disappointment to Jesus as the one who truly satisfies us because everything in this world, including ourselves, will disappoint in the end. So do what Jude says. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with a longing to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all this other stuff that you want will be added to you. What are you going to do with your disappointment in your marriage? What are you going to do with your disappointment in your parenting? What are you going to do with your disappointment with that your career is not coming together the way you hoped it would? What are you going to do with your disappointment in church? And fellow Christians, pray in the Spirit and long for Christ and He will order your heart and your mind to understand what true expectation and satisfaction is all about. In conclusion, some year back, our family went through a series of financial struggles. We had one thing after another that was kind of hitting us in our family, and we had a limited income. I mean, I'm in ministry. Elizabeth was working part-time at the time. It was really hard watching this kind of cascading thing of, of uh, financial struggles come and you know what I remember about that time? <laughs> I remember how I got mad at God. Here you're demanding all this of me, and, and uh, you put me in this hard situation where my house has got issues, our cars have got issues, everything's breaking, and we don't have enough money. What's the matter with you, God? And then I started getting demanding with him and even people around me. Why don't you give me more of what I need? Oh, and God's so gentle and loving. He was kind enough not to give me and us what we needed. Ah, God was so kind and gentle that one day as I was praying about this and I felt that sense of desperation, even financially, you know what happened? I started to realize, wow, money isn't everything after all. If I lose it all, and it, wouldn't, it wasn't going that way, but it, I did this exercise. If I lose it all, how would I be then in my relationship with the Lord? And you know what the Lord did? He gave me the vision of you have an eternal inheritance waiting for you. 
You've got more resources than you could ever dream of waiting on the other side of eternity. Though you may struggle now and you're wondering what's going on financially, I'm right here. And here's the Holy Spirit to give you hope. At that moment, I wept. I wept because I realized God is with me. And if I lose it all, for whatever reasons, like Job, he's still enough. He's good enough. He's loving enough and he cares enough about me. Will you believe that? Will you believe that the Holy Spirit is what we really need in our personal lives, in our families, and dare I say in this church? Will you believe it? Jesus Christ calls us today to pray in the Spirit for Him first. And all these things will be added unto you. Go and pray like living people. Don't live like zombies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to practice what we preach here. Um, We all need the Holy Spirit, and we need it anew. And we pray that you would give us even the Spirit in our disappointments in life. Help us to pursue you when we don't get what we want. Help us to want you because you are the most important person in our personal lives, even as church. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit who brings comfort, direction, who convicts us of sin, and yet directs us to you, Jesus, as the one who finally and fully saves us. Oh, Lord, even in our circumstance, wherever we are in this life, lead us to you, O oh Lord, because you are life. There is no other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.